um, because the way I'm hearing it, it just kept sounding like, like you said that men will reap the consequences of sin, and it keeps sounding to me as if we pay for it. And I know there's a difference between sin, like the sin of man, and you know, just individual sin. But then I'm just looking at Hebrews 10, Jeremiah 31, Revelation 20, 20, 15, and I'm like, um, Christ died for our sins. So, I just, like in my mind, I'm just thinking like, you know, not that we're, that we are sinless, but he died for the sin of humanity already, right? And... I don't understand what you're saying, reap the consequences of sin. I don't understand that. If okay. Christ died on the cross for our sins, what are we what are we reaping the consequences of sin for? <clears throat> and it, like and what I understand, we're reaping like people who deny when people deny Christ, they're reaping the consequences of denying Christ because they're not covered in the blood sacrifice right. for that sin, for the atonement of that sin. So then they have to they bear, they bear, they're still bearing the cross. I mean, I mean, sorry, they're still bearing the curse, and they're not covered in the blood. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that that's the we'll we'll get into like when we work through kind of the, um, the sacrificial system and the grace of God, and so I think that one will give a lot more. You know, framework for your question as far as uh, how the cross was interpreted as a sacrifice and how the sacrificial system worked. And so the animal bears the sin of the worshiper if it's offered rightly. And so, and then judgment is averted according to how the animal is, is offered. Until the point of faith, faith when the sin is actually confessed over the animal and transferred onto the animal, the animal can die one way or the other, but it happens. The animal's presented before God, and the reckoning of the sin happens in, in the eyes of God based on how he judges the heart of the worshiper who's offering the, the sacrifice. So the same way, you know, in, in the broader sense of redemptive history, you know, how we come before God and, and our offering the sacrifice of Christ by faith will determine how we do that will determine whether whether the sacrifice bears our sin or we do. So the sacrifice doesn't, uh, like, you could say the animal bears the sin of the worshiper, but it doesn't actually happen unless the sin, unless it's accounted before God in that way, you know what I'm saying. So humanity will bear its sin unto the day of the Lord, and it will be charged for that sin in, in that lawsuit, in that courtroom, on that day of judgment. And the point of justification or acquittal is that we're acquitted of those sins and the sacrifice bears our sins if we cast the sins by faith and we believe that that's the arrangement that's God set, that God has set up. So if we, if we actually have faith, then we don't bear the sin. But if we don't have faith, we do bear the sin. Does that uh, address or help? I, I, and I don't know if this is kind of the background, but I have heard it. I have heard it because you get you get a lot of the theology of.
um, where the cross is presented as a as an event in itself, in which everything happens in a transaction there, and then nothing it carries over to anticipation of the day of the Lord, and so and it's it's common in a lot of charismatic circles where the cross happened and all of that happened then so that we come to the cross and then we move on from it and we don't we don't have to, yeah, it absorbed everything it all happened transactionally at that point and so we don't even have to repent anymore it's all you know it's all just a matter of actualizing it by faith and i think uh, i think all of that is is damaging and won't actually produce you know like colossians 1 We've been reconciled to him by the cross, by the by the death of his physical body to be presented blameless and holy in his sight if we continue steadfast and unmoved in our faith in the gospel unto the day of Christ Jesus. So there's always that contingency. It's funny because I was just, you know, a few weeks ago I was at a different place and, uh, and uh, it was a real, like, Leadership was the leader. Uh, main guy was real Presbyterian, like Reformed, and so there's this real kind of uh, once saved. And I didn't realize like the questions that were coming up because I I was never raised in the church, and never opened a Bible till I was 19, and then I was born again into a, a you know a Methodist campus ministry and went to to a Methodist seminary. You know, it's kind of affectionately known as the the center of the free will universe. So all of that like contingency language of the scriptures, it, it doesn't bother, like that's just kind of, well, yeah, of course. If It's not by works, but if it's by faith. But if we don't continue in the faith, then we don't continue. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so. But I think that kind of that whole theology where it all happened at that point leads you, leads the, the tends towards not creating perseverance and, and faith. Um, I have a question um, from page 8 under C, the second scripture reference, Titus 3. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm always like struggling to understand um, my present condition and how I should be walking out my faith and stuff. Finding that I'm usually... Uh, in this case, but he uses the past tense, for we ourselves were once foolish. I'm like, not past that yet, is my point. So I don't understand how to interpret this scripture. I'm like, that's still me, so, but should I be... I'm like, but should I be more like, um, uh... The regeneration and then renewal of the Holy Spirit. Like I have trouble understanding, like, because he's ta- talking all in past tense here. I'm like, is, I and so I tr- I don't understand. I'm like, that's all past, but like I'm trying to walk through that still. Right. <laughs> I'm finding that I'm more. God's trying to repeat. Yeah. So how do you deal with a language of past tense that like you're talking about in Titus three? That's how we were. That's what we were, and. And but we've been washed and this kind of stuff, and so part of this, uh, part of it is, you know, you, you come to God and you repent 
and you have a the peace of God comes over you. You know, you, you have that experience, and all of a sudden you you have freedom from holding a grudge against whoever. You have freedom from desiring the things of the world. You don't want to, like, you, you have freedom from lust. You have freedom, like, so there's that dynamic of of a change, but then there's also the dynamic of just the language of the scriptures. And so all of the language of the scriptures uh, derive from the oracles. And So bear with me, a small bunny trail. So the oracles in Hebrew, Hebrew doesn't have past, present, future tense, like the verbs. They have perfect and imperfect, so it's either happened or it hasn't. And so the the prophets the prophets speak, you know, consistently in such a way as it's happened. So, you know, Isaiah sixty, look, the the the, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, you know, and you, the the nations have come to Jerusalem. I was just reading in in Psalm uh, forty eight this morning and and uh, I mean, it's just, it's so common throughout the prophets. A lot of times, like, translations will translate it in the future. The nations will come to Jerusalem. But the oracle is in the perfected tense. It's already happened. The nations have come to the... And so the oracles are all, that's the nature of the oracle. The, the oracle is is the the surety of this thing has happened. It's going to happen. Therefore, you speak in such a way as though it's happened, right? And because it's just the nature of the prophetic declaration. And uh, so like Psalm 48, I was reading this morning, um, Great is the Lord, the most worthy of the praise in the city of our God, His holy mountain. It is beautiful. Oh, this is the NIV. Oh, so different translations will translate it either present or future, and other ones will translate it as in the in the past. So, but the the point of that is that you get the language throughout the like we just read in First Thessalonians one, where the you you've endured uh, uh, from your countrymen the same sufferings as you, your brothers, and they heap up for themselves. Uh, how does it say? Thessalonians 1. This way they always heap up uh, their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. And so it's in the past tense, but it's it's just it's a way of saying it it's it it, it it's absolutely going to happen. You know, so you get a number of these cases where you get the future tense. For example, you get it in the positive, like in Ephesians two, right? Uh, we were uh, all of us living at one time, uh, gratifying the craving of our flesh, following desires and thoughts like the rest. We we're by nature objects of wrath, but because of His great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Uh, even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace you've been saved. So it's a, it's a. It's it's in the past tense, right? But you'll get in a second. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus and ordered that in the coming ages. He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you have been saved. So on both sides, you get by grace you've been saved, you've been seated with Him, in heavenly places. Why? 
so that in the coming ages it might be revealed that God was merciful to objects of his wrath, right? But you get the past tense language that is spoken to give confirmation and exhortation that it's for sure it's going to happen. You know, it's just the, it's the nature of the prophetic witness to stir faith in the heart by speaking in such a way that it's, it's sure and it's going to happen, right? So, uh, some of that it also plays into, look, this is our old way of life when we didn't recognize the judgment of God and, and he's, he's made us alive in Christ, which he, you know, technically he is not, but by faith, we're being renewed day by day and we have confidence. We don't look at the things that are temporary. We look at the things that are eternal and these kinds of things. And so rather than, um, you know, creating an, an entire system of, uh, whatever that denies the need for mercy and forgiveness and denies the reality of how we actually are, let's just interpret it in a prophetic way that exhorts us to leave behind the things, right? So, I mean, I would interpret, for example, I would interpret that passage the same way I would interpret Romans 13, right? Where he says, let no doubt debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, covet, whatever the commandment there may be, summed up in one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding at the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness, right, that whole list, let us put aside the deeds of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. Not in orgies, drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality, debauchery. Not in dissension, jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves in the Lord Jesus and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Right? So, you live as in the daytime. You put aside your former way of life that you just went on in that. You didn't have any qualms about it. You didn't... You just... And then all of a sudden you got conviction about it that God's going to judge those things and you repent and you repented. Now you're walking out your life in fear and repentance and anticipation that day. So therefore you put those things off. That's what you were. But now you're being re- renewed according to your destiny in the age to come. So live according to that destiny. Live according to the daytime. Don't set your mind on the things of the flesh according to the, according to the way it is in this life. Right? Don't set your mind on it. Deny that thing. Keep your mind set on heavenly things, on things of the age to come, right? And so it's a, it's a way of speaking about how things are, but how to, like Paul says in, when he's talking to Felix, he's talking about him, talking to him about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, right? And all of a sudden he started fearing the situation. So it's the same bit where we just set our minds on righteousness and the judgment to come and learn to control our minds, take our thoughts captive to Christ, put on Christ Jesus, live as in the daytime, live as we're designed, don't give provision for how things are now and fight it. And You keep up the fight, you know, in light unto that day. Can you say that the epistles, they're pastorally using prophetic language? Yeah, I mean, they're pastoral incorporating the language of 
right. of, of the prophets. And the, the scripture is meant to exhort us in the present. Yeah, I had a so I had a conversation just recently where a, a guy was drilling me on everybody with Kingdom Now theology, like inaugurationalism. They always have like a passage that's a stronghold in their mind, right? And uh, he was like drilling me on Revelation 12, right? And, and he's been cast down. The kingdom of our, of our Lord has come. He's been cast down. He knows his time is short. And, and he's like, look, this is the plain language. It has happened. At that point, he's saying, in the future, it's before the day of the Lord, and the kingdom has come before the day of the Lord. So it has. He's like, drilled me on. And it's like, this is the plain language, man. And I'm like, well, so I open up Isaiah 60. I open up Psalm 100, Psalm 99. I open up, like, bro, it's past language. The glory of glory's already risen on Zion. It's happened. Well, no. Well, this is the nature of the prophetic oracle. I mean, we we can we can speak in past tense. You know, oh, he squandered his inheritance doing that. Well, it's, it's not it hasn't happened yet, but we can speak of the surety of a future event by using past language. Oh, he lost the election when he said that, but the election hasn't happened. But it's for sure he's not going to right. You know, a few years ago that guy screamed. You know, in this campaign, it was over. It was out. Right, like this, we we can we can judge the surety of future events and speak in the past tense because we understand the context of the situation. So this is just part of the prophetic oracle: is that it's it's how we it's how we speak of the surety in the midst of un unsurety or uncertainty. So I'm still like thinking about and still battling with the concept of already and not yet. So what would you say is the difference between like experiencing the first fruits versus initiation or inauguration or you know just now um, yeah like already experiencing some things of the age to come what's the difference between first fruits and inauguration um yeah just call it first fruits so, oh, sorry. So the question is, how do, how do you, what's the difference, like, how, how do you are, articulate out the difference between first fruits or interpreting that as an inauguration of the age to come? And, and so this is just what I, I, just call it the first fruits. Just call it, just call it a miracle. Just call it the powers of the age to come, but don't call it the age to come. You see what I'm saying? Like, the, but and and we do this too, where we'll you know, and the the inheritance analogy is the best analogy because eternal life in the age to come is is uh, is framed as an inheritance a number of times. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So the same way that we understand an inheritance, there's a difference between before the inheritance and after the inheritance. And a father might give his son an allowance that is actually the substance of the inheritance, but it's not the inheritance. You see what I'm saying? And the point, the point in an, in confusing and calling the allowance the inheritance isn't, it doesn't matter if you call the allowance the inheritance until you stop doing the thing that the allowance is for. Right? What's the allowance for? Right. The allowance is for do what I'm telling you to do, clean your room, do your chores, go to school, right? The allowance is to keep the the child on a narrow path so that 
he can be trained up to receive the inheritance. That's what the allowance is for. But if you call the allowance the inheritance and you start mixing up the two, then what always happens is the child starts living for more in the inheritance and stops the training, right? So you do the same bit when you when you start mixing the ages and you mix this and that and people just start going for more and more and it's like you don't have a framework to say to receive the allowance, right? Because people always like, I always get this really strange like, oh, well, you're just downplaying the gifts of the Holy Spirit. or you know, And I'm like, anybody who knows me, like, my life is a continual swirl of strange dreams and miracles. And I'm like, you don't, you don't sustain your heart without God doing stuff. Like, of course we press for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but why do we press for them? To take up our cross daily. You know what I'm saying? Like, you get off that path, you get out of school, Right, You stop doing the cross bit, and you don't get the inheritance. That's the bottom line. You, you see what I'm saying? So I don't care if you, you we can call it the we can call it the age to come, we can call it now, realize this, that, and the other. But what always happens is once you start down that road, the cross you know goes into the background because it becomes an isolated event that doesn't become the standard of this age, and all of a sudden the standard of this age is the realization of the future reality now, and the glory now, and the kingdom now, and all of a sudden then suffering, and what do you do with suffering, and what do you do with, and how does different expressions of the cross happen in your life, and you end up calling it the devil and running away from it instead of like whatever, and it's like you just get this strange swirl, and and you you, you miss the point of what's happening in this age. So my point in that is, yeah, let's just call it the first fruits, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Why? So that we can be a witness, right? You'll receive, not many days from now, you'll receive the Holy Spirit. You'll be clothed with power from on high. Why? So that you can be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. Witnesses of what? That the Christ came, that he died, was raised three deads, and now repentance and forgiveness of sins are preached from Jerusalem to all the nations. And then what? the judge of the living and the dead will come, right? So within the framework of this age and the age to come, saving people from the wrath to come, being a witness to the Gentile and Jew alike in one new man, then we can frame the gift of the Holy Spirit for boldness of proclamation, for strengthening inner renewal, from, for, for confirming the faith, for walking in obedience and righteousness and in light of our calling, for walking worthy of our calling, living as in the daytime, right? We can... We can receive the allowance to go to school, to do what we're supposed to do so that we can inherit eternal life. But once you start confusing those things, then we start using the allowance to get more of what is not ordained for us. Because what's been ordained for us, Philippians 1.27, it's not only been granted to you to believe on him, but what? But to suffer with him. And then you get the, you know, First Peter 4 and 5 where it's like, don't consider it a strange thing, the suffering you're enduring. Right? Consider it, Hebrews 12, as discipline from your father. Receive it. Right? That tower didn't fall on them for just because they were wicked. Right? It fell on them as a warning of the wrath to come. Receive it as a warning. Repent of your own sins. Make sure to test yourself to make sure you're in the faith. Walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. Consider yourself being crucified with Christ and suffering with him so that you may be declared sons of God and receive the inheritance of eternal life. So yeah. in their in the Jewish tutoring with the um, agrarian society and the feasts, like first fruit just makes sense, right? 
harvest, the first fruits. Right. For us, the best analogy really is the allowance, right? And just thinking of call. Actually, if we call the five dollars that comes out of the million dollars we're inheriting as the inheritance, and we confuse it, we stop living for the inheritance, and it's not, the allowances encourage us. Right. Right. No, we're worthy good. of the allowance. We're just right because no Jew. Right, right, right. If we could just get 10 or 15. When we got a million coming down the road, you know, and we're squabbling over how much we can build now, and we've just missed the point. That's not, it's, but you're, you're right with the first fruits analogy. Nobody would come with the first fruits, which begins at the beginning of the summer. Nobody would call that the that. They're pressing for what comes at the end of the summer, right? And the harvest, right? The first fruits is just, and you can relate to that thing as, as it, yeah. I've been studying um, Galatians and trying to get a better understanding of like the law and, and how it applies to us today. Um, so I guess my question is, when Paul speaks about the law in uh, Galatians, and obviously he's speaking against you know circumcision, all those kind of things. But when he's speaking about the law in general, is he speaking more about the ceremonial law, or is he speaking about the Ten Commandments? Because I've kind of always gotten a little bit confused with that. Um, yeah, this is kind of a big can of worms. I'm not sure we're ready to open. We'll do we'll do a session on it. We'll do a couple sessions uh, on um, breaking down more of how the cross was interpreted, you know, in, in different detail, and then uh, we'll do a, a session on Jew and Gentile and some of the issues of evangelism with Jew and Gentile in the early church. And I think that will give more context. Just as a kind of front-end answer, I I would, um, I would, in, oh, sorry, how does Paul use the law in, in the epistles, especially in Galatians, and what does works of the law mean? Does it mean, does he have the law in his mind divided up into ceremonial, civil, moral, these kinds of things? And, and does one apply to, to salvation, the other doesn't. Is one, you know, still to be observed by the Jews, the other and the Gentiles and all this. And I don't think Paul has the law divided up in his mind. I think it's one complete package to him. And I think it involves mostly the centered around the Ten Commandments and, and common moral issues that had expression in specific Jewish traditions that developed in Second Temple Judaism which revolves around kosher eating and the calendar and Sabbath obedience. So a lot of that is is the excesses of that. Paul is, is saying, look, these traditions have perverted how you're going to relate to the law. And I think the, the most general way, like Paul is saying the same thing in Titus 3 that he is saying in Galatians 3. And so when he's talking about being justified by works of the law, he's basically saying the same thing about at one time Jew and Gentile alike were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, all of this. But when the kindness and love of, of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of our works of righteousness or the righteous things we've done according to the law, Right, and the the law being the basis of righteousness before God in light of the day of the Lord in anticipation of it, and that He's got a very straightforward 
the works of the law in anticipation in, in salvation terms, soteriological terms. What's happening today is that it, you know it, the, the common uh, uh, the common uh, it's a common idiom or phrase that that the pew is 40 years behind the tower, which means um, uh, what happens in the academy ends up filtering down 40 years later into the pulpits and the pews of the churches. So a thing called the New Perspective came along in the late 70s, early 80s, and that thing went like fire through all the academy and now is starting to trickle down 40 years later into all of the pulpits. And you get a redefinition of what Paul was concerned with, what justification by faith means, what works of the law means, and all of this is interpreted in, in primarily sociological terms between Jew and Gentile justification by faith was unto being accepted around the fellowship meal, being accepted into the church. He didn't have broad salvation issues in mind, soteriological things. And I think most of that is rubbish. And, and a lot of the reform movement has risen up just in the last 10, 15 years and really hammered down on it. But again, you have it all trickling down. It'll take another 10, 20 years before a response to that all comes out in a clear form and trickles down also. But N.T. writes the main, he's, he's just freaking machine year after year, just pumping out one after another. And he's just real charismatic. He's a really gifted writer, and but it's just spewing poison. And I just say it straight. I, I think it's just most of his stuff is poison. So. He's not near as bad as most of the people he is, was discipled by. He's much more conservative. But Other questions? I hate getting in a rant on things that most people shouldn't have to deal with. Let's just, uh, I want to hear just a couple testimonies of what what was burning on different people's hearts while we were working through the scriptures. I guess like the thing that stands out for me um, is the cross not being like a past event, kind of just like... Like having that struggle of, okay, coming to God with the cross, but how does the cross like stay in the center of my life? Like how do I keep going with God, relating like to uh, God like through the cross? Because it does, I mean, at least for me, it feels like that sometimes like the cross is like the one-on-one, the elementary things you come to when you enter the faith, like it's your... It's your connection point with God, so to say, but now you need to move on to, to other things. And so, like, um, I guess that was one thing that has been, I think, instrumental during the internship and, like, during the teachings today. Like, our whole life should be um, shaped in the form of the cross. And I guess, like, also just going back to my previous question, like, now just... I think something that's been instrumental like, is giving language to it because like um, for so long like I've heard the language of already but not yet and now hearing first fruits and when I read the scriptures like, especially when I read Romans and Paul is talking about the first fruits things begin to make 
more sense and it kind of does like pull you along on a sojourn instead of I'm kind of stationary, not really sure what to do. So yeah, for me that's, that's what it was. That's good. That's good. Because I, I mean, you, what you're articulating is the heart of perseverant faith. It really is. Like you, the all of the the signs and the 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 you know First Corinthians ten. These things happened in the narrative of Israel as examples for us. They have meaning in themselves, casting a form for the age to come. Israel wasn't just a bunch of typological signs that are now fulfilled in the church or whatever. But but they were signs and examples to us that, look, you don't just put blood over the door and then doodle around in the streets or go about your market or go down the Nile and fish. or No, you put the blood over the door and you believe unto the end, right? You, you stay inside till the time of judgment, till the midnight hour. You know what I'm saying? And, and if you're outside the house... You're not in the blood. You're not in the faith. You know, so it's that, it's that, I think God chose to crucify his son on the Passover, and you get the language of 1 Corinthians 5. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed, so let us therefore celebrate the feast and, and cast off unrighteousness and expel the yeast among us and the immoral brother. And, like, you get the language directly that the Passover is the main event that God says, I will not eat this Passover again with you until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And so God designed it so we would see that event and go, this is how redemptive history as a whole, this is how it really is. You know, it's also like, you know, John 3.15, as the, as the snake was lifted up in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believed in him would inherit eternal life for God so loved the world you know and you get the you, it doesn't you don't look at the snake one time and then go about putting sandbags around you, you keep your eye on that thing and you persevere in faith until the snakes leave and you're not dead you know and so likewise redemptive history under the day of the Lord is faith in the cross not based upon myself crucified with him that I might be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that which a righteousness that comes from God that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead and I press on in that faith and faith in the cross unto the day of Christ and you know you get that that driving this one thing I do faith in the cross to the day of Christ Jesus that I might be found in him right because we're all driving towards the day of the Lord it's the question of how do you inherit eternal life and it's the that the cross becomes that thing you keep in front of you day by day. And if you have the day of the Lord and you and, and the cross becomes forefront to the day of the Lord, then you can sign up to build a tower and not wake walk away from it halfway through building. You know, when things get hard or whatever happens, you, you know, you, you can sign up to go to war and then you realize you're outmanned and you know, like you could sign up on the front end, okay, I'm doing this thing from now to the day of Christ Jesus. And I don't start out in the cross and then go back to human effort, Galatians 3. You know what I'm saying? I cry out, oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, today and tomorrow. And after that, and after that, a year, five years, ten years, tarry to the day of death or the day of Christ, just one of the two, and I know I'll inherit. Like, And so this is why we have to have the Holy Spirit to strengthen our walk. And so, you know, I... 
I do a I do a class in my house, you know, for six weeks. I just do a rotation, an overview, you know, for six weeks, and and so a guy, just a real, you know, he's a guy in the house church, and the the night we, the last night, this is you know, like a month ago, and the last night he uh, he we we finished, and and he went home that night, and he had a dream, and he's just real kind of. Hey, how's it going, guys? And uh, and so you know, he tells us his dream, and he's like, "Yeah." So I had a dream. After class, I went home and I went to bed, and all of a sudden I was awake and I was approaching the judgment seat of Christ. And so we're all like, and uh, and so he's approaching the judgment seat of Christ, and and he knows it's at the it's at the it's at the end of the age, and he's having all these thoughts like, "Whoa!" It's like they told me he's. A man, but he has no form, and you know, and like he's, it's like glory, and and he's like, and uh, and he comes up, and and Jesus said, "It's time for you to give an account of your life," and he's sitting there like bewildered, going, uh, like, and he couldn't, he couldn't gather himself, like an account of my life, and then all of a sudden, like he said, the Holy Spirit started rising up within him, and he was like. And he said, he pointed the finger at Jesus and said, you said, and he was like all angry, like just, you said in your word that it wasn't according to what I did, but according to your work, you said, like, and he just started like, and all of a sudden, like in the dream, like Jesus smiled and he woke up and like it had electricity going up and down him and like was sweating and, and like, and not that that's how it'll actually happen, but, but. But the Lord just gave him, the Lord gave him like an imprint to like, to press him on in the faith that when we approach God, we approach that we might be found in the sacrifice on that day. That we approached him according to his arrangement for the prescription of sin. And that on that day, it will actually turn out that way. And that we will not bear our sin, but he will. And that we will inherit eternal life and be rewarded according to our deeds. But if we're not in the faith, then we will approach and we will bear our sins and all of our good deeds will be disqualified. It will matter for naught. Years and years of diligence and fighting unrighteousness and all this will just be disqualified and we will bear our sins. But we want to be found in the sacrifice that the sacrifice might bear our sins, that all of our diligence and labor will be rewarded in eternal life. You know what I mean? And so it, the Lord just gave him like a, a stamp to pressing forward in perseverance in, in the truth, you know, so so it's a good thing we want to or other testimonies or thoughts I just think that um, like, to me it's like um, I feel like, something fresh like, it's like I, I feel like um, I'm just thinking the gospel as it is, what it is, and for many years me like in the Lord I felt like condemned, I felt like I could never truly like um walk out my walk with the Lord because I felt like you know I was a sinner that it was just so hard to be perfect you know and um ever since I started coming like you know like to the internship and receiving the classes I just feel like so refreshed like you know like I feel like truly free (laughs) when like 20 some years in the church I would not feel like free I felt like so in bondage you know because like um the spirit of condemnation and it's just like whoa you know so (laughs) yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
But regarding scriptures that you have here, and you were asking about a test, like what struck me, um, I mean, even having kind of, you know, like the understanding and seeing the terminology of the day of the Lord and that day and that throughout the scriptures, <coughs> um, even through the internship, we've, you know, focused on that a bit. But I don't know, like, even on page two, just the, just this, like, you used the, the word, the centrality of the day of the Lord. I never really thought about it that much, like, beyond, in, to me, the centrality of the cross. But of course, it's leading to the day of the Lord. But like just seeing the scriptures, you know, in the New Testament here, um, that just refer to the day, or you know, and just honing in on that it's all, you know. I don't know. I'm just like going. It's like you know, like I knew that, um, you know, it's unto His appearing. But even just, you know, all of what Paul and the Gospel and everything, it's not just, you know. Doesn't stop at the cross. It's unto, you know. Right. It's not. It's what are you saved for, from, and unto, you know. Right. And so just, uh, it just feels just like, just a really pointing in to me, and it's really uh, strengthening. I guess even in the ability to be able to convey more of, you know, salvation and like where's it pointing to, you know. Right. A lot of times it just seems like people have that question, like, you know, even if they think, like, well, you know, I don't know, I don't have a need for a Savior or sin or anything, but do you know where it's all going, you know? And so these just, they're just more scriptures that just have that to me today that um, just solidified, you know, and pointed to that. Yeah, that's good. This is, you know, in the academy, it's it's this raging debate for a hundred years now of the center of biblical theology, and he, I'm not going to go into the details. But what ends up happening is you either get the center on eschatology, and you get apocalyptic preachers, whether they're you know popular level or liberal or whatever. It's you know it's it's the future, it's the day of the Lord, it's whatever the events leading up to the end of this age. It's you know, kind of you know, prophecy in the magazine stuff, whatever. All it's either future oriented and apocalyptic, or it's cross oriented. And it's like you get the apocalyptic preachers, and they never talk about the cross. And then you get the cross preachers, and they never talk about the return of Jesus. And it's like, no, we gotta. And part of that is just the worldview issue because cross preachers, they do kind of talk eschatology, only it's heavenly destiny. You know, and all that's just, you know, are you going to go to heaven when you die? So you need to have faith in Jesus, right? And right, right, and nobody, right, heaven's immaterial and nobody's been there and nobody can, like, relate to it and whatever, all that. So the, the, the playing field matters and the worldview matters that once you get off that and, and you put it on a timeline, you get the day of the Lord and new heavens and new earth, the resurrection of the body and these kinds of things, then you can put the judgment and wrath of God in its context, and you can put all have fallen short of the glory of God and are under sin unto the day of wrath and will be saved from the wrath to come by faith in the cross. And you can put the two and integrate the two, and you no longer have a... Even that language of the centrality of the day of the Lord is a little misleading because there's no center to a timeline. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's the creation... Creation, the cross, and the consummation all have equal weight in the equation. It was 
it was perfect and righteous in the beginning. It'll be perfect and righteous at the end. Man wrecked that. God paid the sin, paid the debt for it, and the damage is done. And you know, to absolve the guilt and all these things, and all the parts play together. And and when you start like like a friend of mine says, you know, you, you put the you take the L, the M, and the N out of context, and you disconnect it from the A, the B, and the C, and the X, the Y, and the Z. And all of a sudden, the L, the M, and the N don't make sense, and they don't have. Or you pervert the X, the Y, and the Z, and you make that the, you know, the Zeta, the Theta, and whatever, and you do it a different language, Heavenly Destiny, and all of a sudden, again, the letters don't quite, you know, go together. But you want a simple alphabet where you have Alpha to Omega, and you can put the, you can relate the two together. Yeah, and also, like, um, you know, taking the, the mercy of God that's, you know, displayed on the cross. Um, but even, like you said, the depth, there's so much more depth um, even to the knowledge of the mercy of God when you can look at, you know, the day of the Lord. And right. so, um, you know, when you're talking to somebody about their need for, you know, to be uh, you know, forgiven of their sins and talk about God's mercy, and if they don't see, like, that they have a need for, you know, anything, the mercy of God can just be like, you know, you know but when you start this, you know, conversing to them about mercy in the day of the Lord and standing before Him, and so bringing the two together, even in the end. Right, and then you can you can relate to different people in their different situations, and somebody who is, you know, embodies Pharisaicalism, somebody who's just downcast and broken, locked under shame, somebody who's just completely worldly. You can relate to them. And have a same message, but that message impacts them in different ways where they're at, you know. And and you don't have to have a prepackaged type, you know, message for everybody. But you can you can listen to the Holy Spirit, and you can listen to them and ask God, you know, what's going on with this person? What, you know, is maybe they have deeper family issues, maybe whatever. And and you don't have to get lost in endless counseling that it's their their parents fault no it was adam's fault all the way back and you're culpable too like you you're going to be held to account and whether you're high up or low down listen you can forgive your oppressor because you have the same thing in you and you're going to be held to account and if you don't forgive him you won't be forgiven and then then you can start to relate to issues of injustice rightly you can start to relate to all human beings on the same playing field and 